Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Jessica. I'm your host of this podcast, The Spanning Chronicles, Living with a Vestibular Disorder. This podcast is just me sharing my journey with a vestibular disorder and how I have been able to heal. I also share healthcare knowledge in regards of all the vestibular disorders out there. And I also invite my listeners to be part of my podcast, to share their experience so we can all shed some hope and give some light to everybody out there who is suffering with a vestibular disorder. So I hope everybody who is new enjoy this podcast and those who have been listening to me for a while, welcome back. So let's get to it. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Jessica, and welcome to another episode of The Spinning Chronicles, Living with a Vestibular Disorder. Um, Those who have been listening for the past two episodes, I've had Melina, who was a triathlete, which has had a wonderful journey and story to share with you guys. Then I had Jules, who has been suffering with VPPV for 20-something years and is still battling with getting a, uh, not cure, but a treatment specifically for her needs. And today I have Gigi. Gigi, I reached out to her to see if she was was, uh, more than welcome to be part of my uh, podcast to be interviewed. And she was really nice and said yes. So how are you, Gigi? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you for being and agreeing to be here. Um, I like to share journeys of people who are battling vestibular disorders because, as you know, um, they're really complicated to understand and specifically your case. Uh, which we're not going to talk about until later on. Um, So Gigi, can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure. Um, So I am, um, well, my career has been that I teach creative writing and literature um, to students at the University of Massachusetts Lowell. Um, I've been doing that for close to two decades. And um, so I've been a writer and uh, a lit professor and a creative writing professor for a long time. Um, and I'm also an avid, avid amateur gardener. <laughs> so yeah. so the things, all the things that I do are, are pretty, they, they need my vestibular system to work right. So <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I have a, I live in Maine actually. And um, um, just, I'm, a very active person, love to be outside, love to be in nature, love to be hiking, kayaking, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's good. Um, my husband loves, my husband said if we ever retire, he wants to move to Maine. <laughs> well, have you been here before? No, we've never been there before. Well, but, he, he lo- but he loves nature. He's an avid gardener and loves nature and loves everything else outdoors. Oh, that's so wonderful. And Maine is the perfect place to do it as long as you don't mind winter. As long as you don't no, mind well, a long winter. Yeah, I'm in New York, so. Oh, you're used to it. Yeah, yeah so I was used to it. Yeah. Uh, so Gigi, I know that you've been diagnosed with BPPV. So how long have you been battling with your BPPV symptoms? It will be three years on July 4th. Three years. Yeah. So it's almost my three year anniversary. I just, it sort of dawned on me yesterday. I had this moment where I went, oh my gosh, it'll be three years. Wow. You kind of, that's a long time, but I know it's not as long as your previous guest. Wow. That's incredible. Yes. Yes. That was, that was when she told me it was 20 years. I was like, oh my God, incredible. that's that's a long time. Yes. So what was your initial symptom um, that made you say, hmm, something is wrong with me. I need to go see somebody or, or. Tell us your story, how everything started, if you want. 
so in terms of the BPPV, I was already dealing with some other health issues, but they were kind of mystery health issues and we didn't know quite what was going on. Um, but in terms of when the BPPV began, um, it was a very sudden uh, episode. Um, I was actually, the reason that I remember very easily that it was 4th of July uh, three years ago was because I was sitting uh, at a lake. We had a cabin at a lake and um, uh, I was sitting outside watching the fireworks that everybody was setting off around the lake for 4th of July. And um, a neighbor set off, it's still actually, I'm sure this happens to a lot of people with BPPV. It's still very traumatic for me to remember how this happened, but a neighbor set off not only regular fireworks, but some very loud explosions, several thousand very loud explosions all at once. They set them off within the course of like about 10 minutes. They, they lit uh, like several rounds of thousands of firework, firecracker. I don't even know what they were, some kind of explosive. I don't know. They were crazy loud is all I know. And it sounded like bombs going off. It was so loud. It was crazy. And it was, the sounds were uh, like ricocheting off the lake. It was just really loud. And I couldn't, I didn't know it was going to happen. First of all, it was dark out and I had no idea this was happening. You know, this was going to happen. And then the explosions were just going and going. We couldn't, I couldn't get away from them. I mean, I'd go inside, but because I was in a cabin without any insulation or anything, you know, there was no way to get away from the, the, the reverberations. And I know that sounds really strange probably, but um, that's actually what caused my BPPV. The, the sound waves themselves actually caused the BPPV. It actually caused the crystals in my inner ear to move. And um, I didn't know it at the time that that's what was happening. I was feeling really yucky and I went to bed feeling really awful. And I woke up about, I think maybe two hours later and the room was spinning um, in my in the way that I was experiencing it. Of course, it wasn't actually spinning, but the way I experienced it, yeah. the room was spinning very fast like a top. And um, I sat up and was very scared because I've never felt anything like that. I thought I had, was having a stroke or, or I was dying or something. I had no idea what was going on. And I just sat there uh, until morning because I couldn't do anything. You know, I was 4th of July and I was in the middle of nowhere at <laughs> a summer camp. You know? like, what was I going to do? So in the morning, uh, my husband brought me to a, um, to a clinic nearby where we were. And the doctor there said, oh, you have BPPV. And I had never heard of it at that point. And he explained to me what it was. And he told me I would need to do a, a maneuver called the Epley maneuver, which of course we're all familiar with those of us who have BPPV. Um, he said, you're going to need to do that maneuver. He said, I don't know how to do it myself, but you can go home and Google it and do it. <laughs> I was, and I, you know, I'm sitting there going, I feel really awful. He tested me. He knew how to test me. He could do sort of like the Dix Hall Pike maneuver and kind of like test me to see how I was, to see which side it was on. It was on the left side where the explosion was. And, um, or I should say the explosions were, um, he said, you're going to have to go home and, and, you know, do, figure out how to do this because it's a holiday weekend. So um, I went home and my husband and I just sat watching videos over and over until we figured out how to do it on YouTube. And um, we tried the maneuver and it helped. It, it actually did help. It, it stopped the spinning, you know, it would stop the spinning and I would feel a little bit better. And we did it a few times over the course of the weekend. So then I went, but I knew, I was still feeling really yucky and kind of like I was on a rocking boat all the time. So a few days later, when I got back to civilization, I went to a doctor and, and then I started vestibular, actually started vestibular therapy that very week. Um, because what they would do is they'd do the Epley maneuver with me. We could get it to stop feeling, I could stop the spinning sensation. I could get, I could get back to some sense of 
sort of normalcy, but I could never stop the rocking boat. And then what happened was I never ever stopped the rocking. I'm still, I still live with constant dizziness, even when the crystals are back in place. And I've worked with, I think at this point, seven different vestibular therapists, many different doctors, otoneurologists, ENTs, you name it, I've worked with them. <laughs> um, but it, but it turned out that I had a lot of other things going on that were making that the, the BPV, the BPPV was a difficult thing, but it was only a piece of what was going on with me. If that and yeah, when you say when you say other things, um, what was the other things that was going on with you? So and I actually found out that it was. Yeah. So what actually ended up happening was I had been not feeling very well for about six months, and had been especially having a lot of um, neck and back pain, uh, and also uh, eye issues. Uh, uh, I had been diagnosed with. Um, um, a few different eye issues included. I had floater. I suddenly, very suddenly had floaters. I was getting flu-like symptoms all the time. I was getting a lot of joint pain. Um, and I was, I was diagnosed with early stages of glaucoma all of a sudden, like all of these things happened all of a sudden, you know? Um, and it didn't make sense to me that all of these things were happening. They all felt like very different things, like weird things all over my body were happening. Um, and then when the BPPV happened, um, I thought, uh, okay, <laughs> there's something really strange going on with my body. And then when we could not get me to, to get back to equilibrium, no matter how much vestibular therapy I did, no matter how much uh, vision therapy I did, um, I was diagnosed eventually with, um, by a, a neuro optometrist, I was diagnosed with um, a brain injury caused by the explosions. He said, this happens all the time. I have, I have uh, like, uh, veterans who come in who've been near blasts but haven't themselves been hit by a blast who get who get um, very dizzy who have you know brain injuries and and uh, binocular vision dysfunction which I also was diagnosed with um, so I had all these different pieces going on and I would go to vision therapy and vestibular therapy and I could this was the weird part I could do and this was going over the course of a couple of years that all this was happening. I could do all of the um, exercises in both therapies, vision and vestibular therapy. I could do all the stuff. I could complete all the things. I would. I kept graduating from vestibular therapists. You know, like <laughs> you've gone through the whole thing, and you can stand on one foot with your eyes closed, and you can do all these things. And I could do all of the things, but I never stopped feeling dizzy. I never stopped feeling horrible. And not only that, but all of these other symptoms were starting to crop up really severe fatigue and all kinds of other things. And I went to an otoneurologist at Massachusetts Eye and Ear. Um, and this was about, I don't know, this was a year later, I think. Finally, I was like, I've got to do something. This is crazy. This is, this is not, I'm not getting any progress. I'm not feeling any better. I'm feeling worse. Um, and I'm still having BPPV episodes, you know, and still having to do maneuvers to, to, to deal with that. Um, and so I went to a doctor at Mass Ioneer and uh, he said to me, we did tons of vestibular testing, tons and tons, all of the, you know, the classics, the rotary chair, the caloric, all the classic um, vestibular tests. And he said to me, your vestibular system, your inner ears are fine other than the BPPB, which yes, you do have. Other than that, everything's fine. Um, I think you have um, either vestibular migraine or you have uh, persistent perceptual postural dizziness. Um, and you can do some more vestibular therapy with our therapists here and see if that helps. And so I did that, didn't help, um, 
felt frustrated because I had a lot of doctors saying, oh, well, you know, just practice more mindfulness and practice. And I do practice mindfulness and mindfulness and meditation. It's a really important part of my, my day every day. But I was thinking, they kept saying, you're just anxious. You need to stop being anxious about being dizzy. And I thought, okay, I've, I've never been dizzy before I had BPPV. And I don't, I was never a particularly anxious person before any of this. And I feel really sick. Like I felt sick to my stomach all the time, not just from the dizziness, but like actually just physically awful and really tired. So I was like, I knew something more was going on. So I just kept persisting and persisting and persisting and going to more doctors. And I finally walked in. This was mm, a year ago now, a little over a year ago, I walked into an osteopath's office and said, I'm just really sick. And he looked at all of my records, all the tests I'd had and all of the things. He said, well, I see that you have BPPV. I see you've been diagnosed with a brain injury. I see that you do vision therapy for that, for your binocular vision dysfunction, because my eyes do not focus together. They, they focus very separately. Because um, so I see all these things. He said, and I think all of these things are very much playing into this. He said, but I also think that you have Lyme disease. I said, well, I've been tested once before for Lyme disease. The otoneurologist I saw made sure I got tested for it because Lyme disease can look a lot like a vestibular disorder because Lyme is neurological, late stage, late stage Lyme. Is yes. Neurological. So it can look like a vestibular disorder for a lot of people. You get really dizzy with it. Um, so he had me tested. And he said, no, nope, you're going to get tested again and you're going to get the proper testing this time. There's only certain labs that actually do the proper testing. So I was tested again. And this time, sure enough, I had not only Lyme disease, but I was tested for several other tick-borne illnesses. And I had, um, I have four different tick-borne illnesses. So that was really important piece of the puzzle to, to put in, to put into the whole picture, because then it made me understand not, not why I had BPPV, but it made me understand why I couldn't stop being dizzy and why I had so many other neurological and vision issues. Like I'm really sensitive to patterns and light and motion and all kinds of things, you know, reading. I have, I have a very hard time reading. I had, I got to the point where I couldn't do my job anymore. You know, I certainly couldn't garden anymore. I was really struggling. Last year was the, the lowest point last, all of last year was the lowest point for me, 2020. Last year. Yep. Yeah. It's I'm oh. doing a little better this year, so it's good. Oh, so that's good. So what are the four tick-borne illnesses that you were Um, diagnosed with? The four that I have are Lyme disease, Bartonella, Babesiosis, and Mycoplasma. So that's four. And have you ever, because I know everybody thinks, oh, it's tick-borne disease. So she should have known that she had a tick bite and she had like a a bullseye rash and stuff like that. Did you ever realize that you were ever bit by a tick and you had that rash or anything at all? Thank you for asking that question. I so appreciate it because it's an important question. I never saw the tick that bit me. I never had a bullseye rash. And about 50% of people who end up with Lyme disease, that's the case. Like a lot of us never saw a tick and never had a bullseye rash. So it's really like, it would be lovely if every single time someone got bitten by a tick, they saw it, they went to their doctor right away, got on doxycycline, you know, did the whole thing. But that's just not the case for so many of us. I had no idea that I had Lyme disease. No. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of people, because um, I know a lot of like my doctors, I also have binocular vision dysfunction, and she yeah. wanted me to get tested for Lyme yeah. disease well, as well. That's really um, good that she did. I'm so glad. Yeah. So she did it. She's like, okay, so your symptoms are constant. So let's make sure that you get tested for Lyme. Mm-hmm. So came out negative. Okay, so that's fine. But I know that a lot of doctors says, oh, it could 
comes out negative, but it's good to know that you need to go to a specific lab that specializes in Lyme disease testing. Because not every lab does it. That's one thing. No. And a lot of doctors ask patients, because I know this, because I went through this, have you ever been bit by a tick? Mm -hmm. You never have, you never knew you were bit by a tick. So you say no. (laughs) Right. I I had no idea. I've I've actually never seen a tick bite on my body. Um, But I live in a a, a state where ticks are rampant. I mean, I know a lot of people with Lyme disease. It's really common in Maine. However, um, yeah, like, just like you said, um, most of the people that I know with Lyme disease, and now, of course, I know people through social media, and because I'm a very active Lyme advocate, I know hundreds and hundreds of other Lyme patients, and all of us, you know, the I would say at least 50%, if not more of us, never saw the tick. So, um, so it's really easy to miss. So my whole advocacy, or a big part of my advocacy, not my whole thing, but the, the biggest, probably the biggest part is prevention and teaching people how to protect themselves from tick bites, but also how to know about testing because, you know, there's one lab. Um, is it okay if I say the name of the lab? Yeah, yeah, you can say it. That's fine. Yeah, the, the lab that's that's really, that most people go to now that if they are really serious about finding out, do I have Lyme disease or not, is Igenix lab. And it's I-G-E-N-E-X. Igenix Lab is in California. And their testing is just much more sensitive than most of the testing that people get. Um, and if you if you if you're worried that that could be playing into your vestibular issues and or your you know your vision issues, obviously the the visual processing is part of the vestibular system, but for some people it's really visual. Like it's like that's their biggest problem. And that's the case for me. It's definitely my visual stuff. Um, my proprioception is much stronger than my vision um so for for those of us who have that and nobody's finding answers why not get tested and why not go you know go to a place where you know you can get the proper testing so um i always say to people go to what's called a lyme literate doctor and a lyme literate doctor is just somebody who's been trained um by the organization called ILADS, and ILADS is kind of the overseeing body of lyme disease doctors um, all around the world and um, those doctors are really trained. They know specifically what to look for, for Lyme disease. And it's really common for, for Lyme patients to have a lot of vestibular issues. Yeah. Um, because that's one of the things like late stage, like you said earlier, late stage Lyme disease affects their, your neurological, yeah. gives you ne- neurological disorders. So yeah. hearing your story sounds similar to mine because I graduated from VRT no balance, no nothing, but I'm still dizzy 24 seven. It's not as bad as it was before. Okay. Uh, but I still do vision therapy. I wear my prism lenses. And, me too, me too. Um, <laughs> I have good days. I have bad days. This week has been an on and off day. I mean, week. So, um, but I'm able to cope better with the symptoms than before. Like you oh. said, your last year was your rough year. The worst. I can say, yeah, my, I can say my year, the rough year was last year because my symptoms were 24 seven with no relief. I started feeling relief at the beginning of March of this year. Oh, I'm so glad you're getting some relief. Yeah, but I still get this the bouts of spells, like dizzy spells. Yeah. And nothing, nothing spins for me. That's another thing that gets me a little bit annoyed. Um, I'm mm-hmm. a doctor, yes. but I don't like to assume that everybody has the same. So when I went to the emergency room multiple times, oh, it's just vertigo. Vertigo is yes. the false sensation of spinning. Not every vestibular disorder gives you vertigo. Right. <laughs> And in my case, nobody was listening, but nothing is spinning. And I will identify myself. I'm a doctor and I'm telling you, nothing is spinning. Oh, but you have vertigo. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah. 
I understand how frustrating can it be, like for regular people, myself, and it's like, oh, you guys are not listening to me. And vertigo so, is a symptom. Vertigo is not a diagnosis; it's a symptom, and that's the other. I thing. know. I know. You as a doctor must have just been going like, "No, people, listen to me. I know what vertigo is." <laughs> and and it's a good thing to be your own advocate. Like I can hear that you're really passionate about Lyme disease yeah. and spreading out awareness and stuff like that. Um, people who are suffering, let's say with BPPV mm-hmm. that was triggered by, let's say they had Lyme, what would you, t- um, in regards of that, what would you, how would you guide them to look for their correct, um, providers or, or give them some hope in some regards of symptom relief? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. To, oh, I love that question. Um, yeah, I actually, ha- I know several people now with, um, combinations of things like Lyme disease and BPPV, Lyme disease and brain injuries, or all three, or just all those different crazy combinations you can have vestibular migraine and Lyme disease and, you know, all those things. Um, so I know a lot of people dealing with that now, which is so weird. Cause when I first was getting all these different diagnoses, I thought, um, I'm the only person on the planet who has all these weird things. And, and, and when I would tell people, like the doctors were, most of the doctors were amazing. They were like, oh no, BBBV can absolutely be caused by an explosion. Cause I was feeling crazy. I was like, what, how could that have happened? You know? So I feel really lucky that I had doctors who were like, oh no, we've had it happen before. You know, I, I felt it, I felt, um, I don't know, just, just a sense of relief that they believed me. But I think for a lot of people with Lyme disease, you already don't feel very believed because a lot of mainstream doctors don't understand mainstream, don't, excuse me, don't understand late stage Lyme disease. So um, you can already feel kind of lost. So what I would say, if somebody has Lyme disease and they're not already working with a Lyme literate doctor, that's number one. And you can easily do that by find, you can easily find a Lyme literate doctor by um, going to the website of the global Lyme Alliance. They're like the number one advocacy really organization in the world for for Lyme patients so you can you can uh they will give you a list of Lyme doctors in your area and what happened for me was once I had my Lyme doctor my amazing uh Lyme literate naturopathic doctor he's incredible he was able to refer me to doctors that I needed to see and the doctor that I see for my my particular situation for my binocular vision dysfunction and for just being dizzy all the time um is he's a a neuro, it's a, he's a neuro, excuse me, he's a neurological optometrist who deals with people who have brain injury, injury I can't talk all of a sudden, who have <laughs> injuries, but also people who have Lyme disease. He's Lyme literate. So he works with me both on the visual processing problems I have in my brain, as well as working on just helping me, me because I have Lyme disease. Like, how do you function with Lyme disease and how do you function with BPPV? and whatever's going on with your your visual functioning. So I think it's key that if you feel like that could be your combination, BPPV and Lyme disease, that you talk with a Lyme literate doctor as well as with vestibular um, therapists, as well as with, if you have a great chiropractor and if, or if you have a great um, neuro optometrist, you can have, really you need a team. That's, that's what it comes down to. I think you need a team. You don't, there's no one doctor in that situation who can help you do everything. And it doesn't mean everything will be okay necessarily. Like it's not all going to be like, Oh, all of my symptoms go away forever. <laughs> what happened for me was I worked with 
people who taught me how to do the maneuvers on my own, how to not be frightened when I got, because I do get spinning with my BPPV, not yes. every time, but that's also really important, not every time. Sometimes I get vertigo, true vertigo, and sometimes I just get really, really dizzy and funky. And, and dizzy is a very inexact word, so I always say to people, be able to name the dizziness, say what type of dizziness it is, because a doctor, so many doctors will just look at you like, um, okay, dizzy, what does that mean for you? Because it means something different for everyone. Are you lightheaded? Is the room moving? Are you on a rocking boat? Like if you can name what your body is experiencing, I have a lot of derealization with mine. So um, I can say I'm, I experienced derealization. If you can name those things and also work with a team of people who can teach you how to better handle it, I think that helps a lot because what I do now this might sound a little bit funny, Dr. Jessica, but um, <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you what, what happens to me now when I have a BPPV episode, I know before I get too extreme, I actually know when it's coming on. I, I know to feel like little changes in the way my eye, my eyes will start to get the nystagmus, the little, a little shakiness, you know, and I'll just start to feel it. And I'll start to feel like if I go around a corner, ooh, I feel like the room just slid right past me, you know? So I know, okay, I better go test and see and see if I've got a little, some crystals out of place, you know? Yeah. And, and what that what I've learned is to not take it, this, this is what I was saying, it's gonna sound funny, not take it personally, like not get scared by it, not think, oh no, my life is over, this is ruining my life. I don't do that anymore. I did it first. But now I just go, okay, well, I know what to do. I know what maneuver to do. And I know that if I'm struggling, I can go to my vestibular therapist and he will help me. Um, but I often can take care of it on my own now because I've worked so much with so many therapists <laughs> over the years. But I guess that, I hope that answers the question. It's kind of complicated, but it's- it does. It does because it's like you said, it's not, you're not going to get 100% cure. I found my diagnosis. Yay, walk and be healed. No, it takes time. <laughs> Like I tell that to the patients, to my patients, um, patients who are suffering with vestibular disorders. I tell them like, look, this is a team. 50% is you giving your all. 50% is me trying to give you my all. I can do my work, but if you don't do your work also, you're not going to get better. Right. Like right now your symptoms are like my symptoms right now is for me to cope. I have the tools to cope with, with, with when I get like a little, what we call an exacerbation or a little, mm-hmm. little this every now and then. Um, so I have the tools. Like I was like you in the past, my mindset was like, Oh my God, I'm 37 years old, 36, 37. My life is over. Yep. I have a four year old, how I'm going to work, how I'm going to do this. Um, my mindset has completely changed since the beginning of this year, because you cannot get stuck in that mindset. No, you're never going to heal that anxiety and that pressure. You feeling stress makes your symptoms worse, which I just realized that. It totally does. And I think that's one of the hardest pieces because it is, it is very anxiety provoking for someone who's never had dizziness or vertigo. um, It's hard for them to probably imagine. So I always say to somebody, okay, have somebody just spin you around 10 times and then push you and say, go walk. Cause that's what it feels like. That's what I might feels like a lot of the time or try to read a book and you can't cause the words don't make sense. They spin on the page, they, they spin and swirl on the page, things like that. Um, so I think for a lot of people, they can't imagine how anxiety provoking it is. So it is really important in this way, the, the doctors early on who kept saying to me, just relax, just relax. In this way, they were <laughs> sort of right. Like they were kind of dismissing me, I have to say. But at the same time, I, I think that there is a shift in mindset. And for me, it was accepting, okay, well, this is, I have this thing. And in, in my case, I have BPV, BPPV, and I also have Lyme disease and co-infections. And 
those aren't things that go away. Like Lyme disease, there's not a cure for it. So it's, okay, I'm going to work towards getting remission. And with BPPV, I'm going to work towards learning how to live with it better and learning how to to treat it when I can and then seek help when I can't do it on my own. Um, but I would never say to somebody, oh, treat it on your own. I, I should be careful. No, no. It's just I've, I, I've worked with so many doctors that I'm at the point now where I know how to do it. Um, but I would never say that to somebody who's... I, I'm so... Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, upset and a little bit annoyed that a doctor wants to tell you oh, oh. Here, just google it when i hate <sighs> google by the way i hate when patients go to google and bring me something i was like no yeah. <laughs> don't don't use google google didn't go to the doctor and study hours <laughs> to get the, like my neighbor down the block can write anything in google you know like exactly. it's yeah. not a good tool it's not a good tool unless a doctor gives you a link that is specializes in certain conditions. Like my case, neuro. I, I also see a neurooptometrist. The website is Nora NORAD. Yeah. Neurooptometrist Rehabilitation Association Disorder or something like that. You can find everything there. Yeah. Um, the Vita website, Vestibular, oh, Vestibular yeah. Association. Tons of resources there. Don't go to uh, Wikipedia no. or none of that. No. Resources there that doctors should guide you through. So that was a little bit upsetting and annoying, and I know that a lot really of upsetting to me too as a patient. It was really upsetting. I felt lost. And and I know a lot of a lot of patients out there they get upset and lost. Like my case, I was I'm in both spectrums. I'm in the healthcare field, and I'm also a patient. Mm-hmm. So I was so frustrated because I'm like I'm telling you what I have. Just take a look to what I'm telling you mm-hmm. and they will still disregard it. So I completely understand the frustration that anybody can get um, and tell you, go to Google and learn how to do it. It's oh, like, oh God. God. Yeah. That's the first thing I say to people now, because I have people reach out to me all the time with BPPV now and I'll say to them, um, go to the Vestibular Disorders Association website, talk to your doctor. You know, I, I tell them the things that they need to do because Vita is amazing. And then also for people with Lyme, I'm like, go to Global Lyme Alliance, go to the people who know, and then find the people who, the right doctors who can help you. Um, and the only reason that I now can do the epilim maneuver on my own is because I've worked with so many doctors and so many uh, vestibular therapists on it. And, you know, I had my last vestibular therapist was like, you can do this on your own now and you can call me when you need me, but you know how to do it. But it took years to learn how to do it right. You know, I would never, ever say to somebody, go do that on your own, ever, ever, ever. Now, um, I normally tell the patients, look, this is what you have to see for this. I don't do them myself um, Mm -hmm. because that's not my specialty. I do refer them to doctors who are literate in vestibular disorders. Like I have my own ontologist. I have a neurotologist. I have my neurooptometrist and neuroophthalmologist. Yes, my neurologist. I have a whole list because I went to see multiple doctors to find the diagnosis that I said, this is it, what I'm telling you that I have. Because like you, you had you had diagnosis of vestibular migraines and something else as well, right? Before you were diagnosed. They thought perhaps when I went to Massachusetts Ioneer, they thought I perhaps had vestibular migraine or uh, persistent perceptual postural dizziness. But I didn't have either. And and I kind of was like floating along with those diagnoses as a maybe for a while. And and I was like, I don't, neither of these feels like what this is. No, because I have too many other physical problems going on in the rest of my body. So I knew, and I know my body really well. So I said, no, I've got to 
keep being a detective. I've got to keep looking. And that's like you, what you said, I love, because that's how I built up a team. I have a team of doctors that I work with and I, and I run everything by them. I don't, I work with them as a team and they treat me as I wouldn't work with a doctor now who this is okay. This is what all this has taught me. Never work with a doctor who doesn't respect you and doesn't see you as part of the team. Yes. <laughs> and so when you said that about working as a team, I was like, yes, it's a hundred percent for me. I, if a doctor doesn't treat me like the team, part of the team, if they treat me like they're talking to me, like somebody who can't understand or doesn't, won't do the work. I'm like, okay, I'll find the next doctor who will. And then once I built my team, now I always feel especially having my neuro optometrist because he's so incredible. Um, now I always feel like I have people who have my back, but I also can do this on my own. I feel more empowered to do things on my own that, that I know how to do and that they've taught me how to do. Which is true. Like um, you said your neurotometrist specializes in concussion, brain injuries, right? Yeah, he does brain injuries. He does strokes. And he, and he also works a lot with people with Lyme. So he was like the perfect person for me to work with. Um, and my, my Lyme doctor was the person who sent me to him. He said, I, I have a doctor I want you to meet. You need to go to him. He's incredible. And I'm so grateful to him. So grateful to both of them. And it's funny because my neurotometrist also deals with stroke patients and brain injury patients as well, yeah. which is funny, which is crazy because I know that a lot of, a lot of neuro, no, sorry, a lot of neurooptometrists out there specialize in obviously eye conditions, neurological disorders of the eyes, but you have to find specifically one that does brain injuries yeah. because even even um, vestibular disorders is not considered a brain injury. You might have had one when you were younger, and like in your case, an explosion. Yeah. Give you a brain injury, which I never heard about that. Mm-hmm. I've heard about military people being in an explosion, but not near mm-hmm. an explosion that caused a brain injury. Either. I felt crazy because I hadn't either. I'd never heard of it. And then when I went to the, my current neurooptometrist, uh, he said to me, when I told him the story, I said, I don't even want to tell you the story because I always get embarrassed telling it. I don't anymore, but I did at that time. Um, I, and I said, I wanted to, I'll tell you what happened, but I, I think you might think I'm a little crazy. So I told him and he looked at me, he said, I don't think you're crazy at all. <laughs> he said, of course that affected you like that. He said, um, also the part in your brain, he, he takes out the diagram. He's like, I want you to look at the part in your brain where uh, auditory processing is, is done. And then I want you to look how close visual processing is done. He said, that one thing could affect the other so easily. He said, the brain the brain is still something that we're, we're working very hard to understand. And yes, you had an MRI and, and no, your MRI did not show the injury, but he said so many brain injuries do not show up on an, on an MRI. And uh, it was interesting because right around when that was happening, I, there was a news story out about some soldiers who had been near a blast. They hadn't been in the blast, but near the blast. And they ended up with brain injuries. And all these people were kind of poo-pooing it publicly. And I was steaming mad. <laughs> no, it can't happen because it happened to me. Like, it's crazy. My eyes completely, my visual processing completely changed because of it. It's very different now. And so it's a long journey back from that. Um, and I think it's important that people be able to tell their stories, no matter how weird they sound, because... Um, if we can't tell them and be, and be understood and be able to share it, then other patients can't get help. Which is true, which is true because um, I always tell my patients when I treat them in my office, I tell them, so what's going on? What's happening? They tell me the story. I'm like, but tell me the whole thing since you woke up until you went to sleep because they're always going to feel embarrassed sometimes to say like, Oh, I bend over to tie my shoe and I felt something weird. Exactly. I'm like, no, every single thing. Oh, I went to the bathroom. I pushed a little bit and I felt something 
go off. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I, we need to know this. Um, a lot of patients feel embarrassed to say little things. In your case, like, okay, uh, there was a firework, and then I woke up feeling dizzy, spinning, everything spinning. Yeah. And a lot of doctors would have dismissed that for sure. A lot I would have first. A lot. Different. I would have looked at you like, um, how would that happen? Because I've never heard that before. Yeah, I hadn't either. And and, I, and the first couple of doctors I saw were like, oh, I don't think that could happen. It wasn't until I went to Mass Ioneer uh, in Boston um, and they said, oh, no, that can happen. <laughs> it absolutely happened. And uh, that's probably exactly what happened. And then when I went to see my, um, my, my uh, neurological optometrist and he was like, uh, yeah, you definitely have visual processing issues and and also the other piece of it for for people who have Lyme and also BPPV as well or just Lyme and dizziness um not necessarily even BPPV but um the other piece of that is that Lyme disease causes brain injury so you know my my Lyme is in not is in my brain it's also in it's also on my left optic nerve now Oh, wow. So, you know, it can cause blindness. So that's the other thing I'm always, we're like trying to like get me better before, get me in remission before that happens because my left optic nerve is very inflamed. So I think it's really important for somebody who has Lyme, who's very dizzy or has vision issues to go to a neurooptometrist and hopefully you can find one who's Lyme literate or to work with your Lyme doctor and a neurooptometrist together because you don't really want to lose your eyesight. You know, you really want to be able to try to, get in remission as, as soon as possible. It takes a long time to get in remission from Lyme, but to be able to work with people who see how it's affecting your brain and how it's affecting the ner- the optic nerve as well is really important for Lyme patients. Yeah, and because uh, I know you said you also have Bartonella yes, uh, mycoplasma, and how, how are you getting treated for those as well? Yeah, yep, I am. And right now, actually, the biggest, that's so, I love the questions you ask. <laughs> good uh um, yeah the bartonella is actually kind of one of the central things that we're focusing on right now because bartonella it's it it definitely affects the brain and and it affects cognitive ability memory as well as balance and um things like that so it's it's a big deal and i also should mention i also have epstein-barr virus um and i think most people have epstein-barr virus it's usually just dormant because like we get mono when we're young or something like that so i had mono when i was a teenager but when you get lyme and co-infections tick-borne illnesses tend to re-trigger Epstein-Barr, as well as some other things. So um, if you have anything that's sort of dormant in your body, um, it can kind of come back to play a role in it. So I have Epstein-Barr virus, which then kind of also caused Hashimoto's for me. Um, it attacked my my um, thyroid. So I have that piece of it too. And thyroid can also affect balance and muscular yes. and vision and all of those things. So for me, the pieces, whenever I tell my story, it, it takes a little while because there's <laughs> Jesus. So we've worked a lot also on Epstein-Barr simultaneously, especially with Bartonella and Lyme. Those are the three that we've worked on the most because those are the three most pressing issues for me, you know, in addition to obviously BPPV, which is an ongoing thing that, that we deal with all the time. And how about the mycoplasma and Hashimoto's? How, is, how are those being treated at the moment for you as well? Yeah, the Hashimoto's. So as we treat the Epstein-Barr, um, my thyroid numbers get better. Um, I'm also, I also take thyroid medication. So I take um, both T3 and T4, um, but it's, we monitor it constantly. We monitor it every couple of months I get tested again, because it's, we have to, because it's so variable with Epstein-Barr 
and thyroid, the, the games that happen <laughs> between the Epstein bar and, and the thyroid. So it's monitored a lot. Um, I'm really careful about my diet, obviously, um, because with, you have to be with Lyme anyway, um, because every, you're affected by everything from mold to heavy metals to everything, much mm-hmm. more than other people. So I, I have a really strict diet, and that's a piece of how we treat all of these things too. Like I don't eat any sugar. I don't eat any grains. I don't eat any dairy, uh, the list goes on and on, but I do eat a really wonderful diet. It's just super healthy, lots of greens, lots of veggies, lots of pasture fed uh, meat and fresh wild caught fish. So I really think when people have these kinds of issues, your diet plays a big role in it and in, in eating really well and eating as, as well as you can afford. Basically, I think eating as well as you can afford and drinking filtered water and all of those things play a role in it. And I think a lot of people don't talk about that. Yeah, um, one of the things when I had when I was first diagnosed, because my first diagnosis was with sibilant migraine, but I couldn't read because the letters were all blurry, double, oh, like I, my eyes were all out of whack. Me too. Um, you, you and I have a lot of similar things going on with our. I know. <laughs> they told me, "Oh, read the the book, heal your headache diet." I'm like looking at my doctor. I'm like, "How am I going to read it if I can't even focus my eyes?" You know, I love to read. Like, I love to read. That's my main thing. That's what hurt me the most. Like, mm-hmm. I was starting to read all Stephen King books in uh-huh. order, logical order when this hit me, and I was so upset. Um, and he goes, oh, well, um, we can try elimination diet. And I was, I tried everything. Nothing me ever too. helped me. Me too. For Nothing ever helped me. I was like, this is not vestibular migraines. I'm telling mm-hmm. you. I lost like 20 pounds yep. from not eating things that was on that list. And I told my husband, you know what? I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to eat everything on the list to see if something triggers it. Mm-hmm. And I ate everything back to normal and nothing triggered it. Interesting. Okay. Which is, which is one of the things that, but I do have a clean diet though that I've always had. I used to be a competitive weightlifter. I used to be a personal trainer. So okay. I've always been active my whole life. So my diet has been super clean since, I was like 17, 18 years old. Um, so when they told mm-hmm. me that I had to start eliminating certain things that is part of my diet, I was like, hmm, how's that even possible? <laughs> I already eat so clean. <laughs> I already eat so clean. What else should I take out? And they were taking out legumes and beans and mm-hmm. onions and garlic. I was like, what am I going to eat? Cardboard? <laughs> I had the same thing. Oh my gosh. These are the same thing to me with vestibular migraine. They took all these really weird things out of, cause I had a clean diet too. What I thought of as a really clean diet. Um, and they were like, okay, you can't have any more onions. I'm like, now, of course, with Lyme disease, it's one of the things you have to eat with Lyme disease. You must eat, you can't have any sugar, like you no know, added sugars because, because the Borrelia eat sugar and they eat, they just, there's, there's certain things that they love and sugar is one of the things that, that they really love. But I think a lot of people, um, go oh your, your diet sounds so boring it sounds so terrible I'm like actually it's great I eat amazing food it's just I don't eat junk food I don't eat anything and I didn't really before but now I also have cut out a few things that I ate before like I used to eat a lot more grains than I do now I don't I don't and it's grains. and it's crazy because I do also take the supplements yes I always I've always taken supplements way before my whole vestibular issue I always taken my magnesium zinc vitamin mm-hmm. c because I come from a nutrition background as well so me, I have to take my vitamins every morning religiously when my breakfast. Me too. Um, when I saw the list of supplements for vestibular migraines, I'm like, but I already take all these. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I already take all these. This is the amount that I'm taking at the moment, always. So I'm like, this is not it. This is not right? it. That couldn't be it. Not, yeah. This is not what I have. 
but it's funny because um, I always tell the patients, make sure you follow your supplement list. If, if you're diagnosed with vestibular migraine, supplements do help. Don't expect them to help. Let's say you started today, next week. Now it takes three to four months for you to see a difference. You have to be religious with it. Um, but diet is super clean. And I noticed that if I eat something that my son is eating, let's say he wants to have a bag of chips, I take a chip or two, I eat with him. The next day I was like, Ugh, mm-hmm. I feel it. Yep. So sodium does affect your nervous system, which I was like, I love my chips. So I had to mm-hmm. cut back on that. That's for sure. But um, having the healthy diet when you have these vestibular issues is super, super important though. Yeah, absolutely. It's huge. It's, it's definitely important. So one, one more question before we say goodbye, Gigi. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are battling with BPPV or the say concussion, brain injuries, Lyme, Bartonella, Hashimoto's, like yourself, everything across the board, what would you tell them to do with <laughs> this condition to, like, that they're going through? Because we all have basically the same symptoms. It's just different names to it. It's different names. Yeah. Um, I think you know, as we said, you know, finding a really good team of doctors who treat you as a, as a, as a team member and who really work with you and that you trust and that, you know, you can do the research with them and talk with each other. Um, that's key. Um, but also, um, <laughs> having a little patience with yourself and, and giving yourself some grace during this process, because any of these conditions and any combination of these conditions takes a long time. It's not like you're going to get all better in a month or two. They're not going to just give you some drugs and you'll feel better like some things. And there's not like a surgery that you can get for BPPV that will make you all better or for Lyme disease that will make you all better. <laughs> so you have to you have to play an active role in your healthcare, and you have to be a really, really good advocate and be kind to yourself and patient. And, it, and all, I think the last thing I would say is also it is scary. These are scary things to experience. They're not pleasant. They're not pleasant sensations and they're not pleasant things to be with. Like they can go on for days sometimes and sometimes weeks and months. And, you know, like you and I have lived with this, this for a long time. So we know, but there are other people out there who are suffering with it too. And it doesn't have to be a miserable life. You can still have a life. It just takes patience and time and reaching out and connecting with other people who are going through it too. And listening to podcasts like this, you know, <laughs> information from people who, who are, who are there and who can, who can share that with you. I think finding community has been a way that I've learned how to be more patient with myself and, and learned how to be just, uh, less afraid of the process and more curious. I stayed curious about it. And I think that's been the number one thing is staying curious. And are you any, uh, are you part of any support groups, either on Facebook or anything online yeah. that you might want to share with, with the listeners? Yeah. I'm actually also taking, I, I'm taking a course called concussion compass, which has helped me a lot. And so I belong to a group of that on Facebook. And I also, I'm on, um, in, on Instagram, I have a lot of friends on there that, you know, we just have built a community over the years with vestibular friends and Lyme, Lyme friends as well. But I also am on, um, clubhouse the clubhouse app and i do a lot of rooms on clubhouse with people who have these kinds of issues and i find that really empowering because people can tell their stories and they can tell their stories that sound crazy to other people (laughs) and and nobody goes that's crazy that can't be true everyone goes wow i hear you i hear you you know and that's huge to have your story heard it gives you that sense as i was mentioning it gives you that sense of grace towards yourself and compassion and patience that it takes to gradually get better because there is there is it can get better it just takes time it takes a lot of time and a lot of a lot of work 
And a lot of patience. And a lot of patience. <laughs> yes, especially a lot of patience because everybody loses it. I was about to lose it when I saw like a little light at the end of the tunnel, um, which is amazing to 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 have. And I normally tell everybody too when I when I do these podcasts and interview people, it's like you said, never give up hope and enjoy the good days. Don't dwell yeah. on the bad days. Enjoy those good days. Take them as wins, right? Because yeah. if you start dwelling on those bad days, it's a vicious cycle. You're never gonna. You'll just always feel worse and worse about it. I had one day last week where I could. I woke up in the morning and I felt pretty good, and I was able to. It's gonna sound funny, probably, but I was able to clean the bathroom and do some laundry and water my garden. And for me, that's like a massive day of stuff to to do with all the different things I'm dealing with. And I told my friends, I'm like, I just had the best day. I cleaned the bathroom and did the laundry and watered the garden. (laughs) One of my girlfriends was like, I wouldn't really think of cleaning the bathroom as a good day. And I said, that's because you haven't been sick in bed with Lyme disease and co-infections and a vestibular disorder for years. Like I've, I've had to deal with so many really, really sick days with Lyme. Um, so to the, the only thing you want is to be of use. You know, you just want to get out of bed and be of use. So for me, it was like a thrilling day. <laughs> exactly. Like for me, it. for me, it was last week when I went to my son's kindergarten step up ceremony. Oh. Um, I missed I missed a lot when he was in pre-K. So going to that and not having any symptoms, I was like, oh, my God, I was able to sit and focus on the teacher without having any visual disturbances. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. And, ha- and have a talk with the teachers and not get a little bit, because, you know, when you look at when they're moving the arms a lot and visual triggers, it's like. Thank you for saying that. When people move, when people, I can't, I, I, it's much better now, like you said, but I used to not be able to look at people when I talked. I couldn't yeah, they move the arms and oh. moving all over the place. And you're like, oh God, please stop. <laughs> moving when you talk, can't you just hold perfectly still? <laughs> so that was that was great for me too to enjoy oh, that with my amazing. husband and my son. So little things like that, just to That's be able to great. talk to somebody. That was amazing. That is um, so cool. Oh wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so Gigi, you do have Instagram. Can you share your Instagram name here so everybody can follow you? I Those do. who are interested in reaching out and learn more about Lyme and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, it's Lyme L Y M E, of course. It's Lime dot blossom. Lime blossom. Got it. Because I know I'm going to tag, I'm going to put this all online and Instagram and stuff like that for those who are following me. I'm going to tag her as well. So if you guys want to follow her, you can just click on the post and just follow her as well. See her, her Lime, um, Lime period blossom Instagram, where she shares her journey with Lime and little insights about Lime. And she's a really good Lime advocate. I've been stalking her Instagram a little bit, reading a little bit of what she's writing (laughs) Uh, to get to know, because um, like I said, even though she has Lime and BPPV and binocular vision dysfunction, and you might have triple PD and I don't know what else across all those lists of conditions, Meniere's, Mal de Barkman, we all have the same thing. We're all dizzy 24 seven. We're all dizzy, we're all dizzy, that's it. We're all dizzy. So it's good to reach out and support people. Like I'm part of the Vestibular Support Group on Facebook and the Vestibular Hope on Facebook. Um, You can follow me on Instagram. I forgot my name, T (laughs) underscore spinning underscore chronicles. Uh, there I'll share little tidbits of healthcare knowledge in regards of vestibular disorders, interviews with people, little reflection um, cards and posts. So you can follow me there. Um, Next week, we're going to start talking about another condition that can cause vestibular disorder, which is cervicogenic dizziness. Uh, Um, Yeah. yeah, A lot of people think that vestibular disorder is only the ear. Mm. No, it can also come from the muscles of your neck. Mm -hmm. 
So we're going to talk about that next week. Um, if you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or the support groups on Facebook. Like I said, again, you can reach Gigi at Lime, like L-Y-M-E period Blossom on Instagram. Um, if you are listening, thank you so much. And I will talk to you guys again next week. Bye.